It's called a salute to all nations, mm -hmm. but mostly America. With these words from the Declaration of Independence, we define ourselves as a nation. Facing new frontiers. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So, if you'll pardon an old man's pride, for me, this is the beginning of the American adventure. W Radio, your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 74 for the week of July 6th, 2008. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and thank you for tuning in once again. Happy birthday, America. At 232 years old, you still look great to me. We'll start off this week's show with another look at some of my favorite Disney books. George Taylor is going to join me as we focus on three titles that examine the art and architecture of the parks and resorts. And I'm still very much in an Adventureland mood with the release of the next Audio Guide CD, Just Days Away, so I thought we'd look at some interesting and questionable hidden Mickeys of Adventureland with Steve Barrett. And speaking of Adventureland and the guide, I've been telling you about the big announcement I have that ties into the release of the guide while well, the wait is finally over. And I'll share the news with you before the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. A few months ago, we took a look at a few Disney books that were considered really to be an essential part of every Disney Geeks library. And then sometime later, we looked at two books by Imagineer Jason Sorrell from his Magic Kingdom to the movie series. And this week, I'm bracing myself for what can only be described as an adventure through the world of Disney literature. And with the help of everyone's favorite Disney geek and librarian, George Taylor from Imaginerding.com. George, welcome back. Uh, thank you, Lou. It's great to be back in the studio. I see you've done some remodeling. Looks nice. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And the jet was fine it met with your specifications? Yeah, yeah. But the fact that I had to pay for the gas to fill it up, I, well, we'll talk about that later. So. Well, all the red M&Ms were removed and your trailer should be ready to go. But um, this week, we want to look at three more books in each of our respective libraries that really deal with building the magic. And we're going to talk about three, I guess, of, of our favorite books about the architecture of the parks. And George, I, I think because we enjoy especially one of these so much, they almost could have qualified to be on the first list that we did of the, the essential books for the Disney geek. Yeah, I agree with you on that. These three titles uh, have been out for a little while, but they're, they're a little more advanced, in my opinion, than the, what the basic, than what everybody needs to experience with that. And they go into a little bit more detail, as you mentioned, about the architecture. But I'm excited. Uh, these are some of my favorite books, some of the first Disney books that were available uh, in a broad spectrum, so to speak, and looking, looking forward to talking about them. Yeah, and you're right. I think they all, especially the first two that we're going to cover, are, are definitely very different than many of the other ones that we reviewed. And actually, let's start off one that's even a bit different from the others in the list. 
in not only how the information is presented, but how it's authored, uh, because it's not just one person. It's actually sort of a combination of work from a number of different people. Yeah, the, the first one that we're going to look at is called Designing Disney's Theme Parks, The Architecture of Reassurance, which is a great title. It was edited by Carol Ann Marling and put out in 1997. Uh, Ms. Marling, she's, like an, she's an art history and an American studies professor uh, at the University of Minnesota. And she's written a lot of books, uh, mostly based on Americana. And her specialty is American culture. So if you look at it from that aspect, I think she's uniquely qualified to look at Disney's theme parks, how they were designed and developed, and, and what they mean to us as people. Uh, what's, what's really great about this book is actually based on an exhibit by the CCA, the, <laughs> which everyone should know, the Canadian Center for Architecture. And Miss Marling served as the curator of the exhibit, and she was the director of research. Unfortunately, of course, you know, the exhibit is no longer on. It was, I think, from June 97 to April 99. Yeah, looking at my notes. And it was held in Montreal, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, New York, and Fort Worth. So it came nowhere near my house, and that's why I did not get to see it whatsoever. <laughs> and, and no stops in New Jersey either. But, you know, being a so. CCA card-carrying member and having <laughs> the exhibit right there in New York, um, I, obviously, hindsight being twenty twenty, I would have loved to have seen uh, what the actual exhibit would have been like. Oh, yeah. I mean, looking, you know, flipping through the book and looking at the pictures from some of the displays that they had, and uh, it, it's just phenomenal. And we've mentioned this before, especially last time we looked at the, the Walt Disney's, Disney's Imagineering book with all the pictures and the concept art. This book even has concept art for parts of the park that were never built. And the color choice, uh, uh, it's just almost overwhelming. When, when you talked earlier you said that you know this book was different because it was written by different authors. Um, Carol, Carol Ann Marling did edit the item, but there were five or six different chapters written by different authors. And, of course, the first one is The Artist as Imagineer, written by Marty Sklar. You know, we all know who Marty Sklar is. We're all huge fans of <laughs> the fact that he's opened and touched every single theme park. But I thought one of the interesting things that he wrote in the foreword was that uh, the curator of the Canadian Center for Architecture, Nicholas Olsberg, actually spoke with Marty Sklar on several occasions, and they agreed that they were going to, and this is a quote, recognize the theme parks as a cultural phenomenon in the public domain and to insist together that only an exhibition and publication curated and edited with complete independence could effectively account for it. So basically, they were really calling the Disney parks public domain, more or less, which I thought was a great concept. Because it's not that the Disney company really owns them, but they really belong to us. And I think that's the whole book really gets down to that fact that, you know, the parks were designed to make us, you know, feel at home there and, and, and really enjoy ourselves while we're there. And while but, I'm sure Disney's lawyers might disagree that, that the Disney well, parks yeah. are public domain. <laughs> <laughs> but it's in print. It's right there. I've got it. I, I, it's page 11. Your Honor, but, Marty told me it's public domain, so <laughs> if I choose to sleep here, well, I'm George Taylor, so. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, um, what I like about this book, which is different from the other ones, it, this is the, it's one of the first times that uh, the parks are treated as actual works of art. It's a very academically themed uh, book where the articles were written. And even just looking at the, the titles 
of the chapters, ex expository expositions, preparing for the theme parks, which talks about the growth of the country in the early part of the 20th century and how, you know, Walt Disney building Disneyland would have only happened in 1955 in Southern California at this one time to become a success. Um, Imagineering the Disney theme parks, of uh, what goes into it, that's the second chapter. Making Imagination Safe in the 1950s, Disneyland Fantasy Art and Architecture talks about exactly what it sounds like, but how they designed Disneyland to give you this sense of uh, being safe and everything was all right. I mean, that's the middle of the Cold War, so there was a lot going on. Disneyland, its place in world culture is the next section and looks at how everything relates to Disneyland. And 40 years of overstatement, criticism in Disney theme parks really takes a look at how critics have loved, adored, and hated the parks and what it means. Of course, the last section is an interview with Frank Gehry, and we all love Frank Gehry because of the, the uh, buildings that he designed for Disney. Um, but it, it's a great book. It's a good look at how Disney developed the idea of the theme park from you know his past experiences like the world's fairs and the expositions that were there and and how the company moved forward without Walt I'd like uh, this book in my mind I would recommend this book to anyone looking for how the development of the ideas came about with the parks and and there was a ton of concept art in this book that's that's probably its strength is the amount of concept art that's available that's Every what I was page. gonna say too yeah it, it the concept art I mean totally overwhelms the number of photos that are in the book but beautiful stuff that for I think a lot of people you've probably never seen anywhere else uh, was one of the things that I really really enjoyed as well mm -hmm. yeah and like I said we talked about earlier it, it is based on you know the exhibit that they do and I mean I just flipped open to the section on Imagineering the Disney theme parks and there's a drawing by Sam McKinn of Mineral Hall and then a huge layout of Thomas Edison Square that was never built at Disneyland right off of Main Street that eventually sort of turned into uh, Liberty Square at the Magic Kingdom at Disney World. And I mean, there's just some beautiful pieces of artwork in here. Absolutely amazing. And yes, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I like how they went back to talking about things like the World's Fair. They talk about the evolution and they talk about how the Disney parks were meant to be so different that they weren't just to entertain they really were to educate people along the way and how important story is and how important continuity in story is in everything that that they do and you really get an idea of a sense of the planning that goes into it i mean nothing sort of is there by happenstance everything is there for a reason and how that story progresses based on what you see throughout the parks. And, and I think gives you, George, a, a better appreciation if you really go through the book as you go through Walt Disney World or Disneyland or any of the theme parks worldwide about what they did. And it's not just with the attractions, but the buildings and the transportation systems and just the, the whole physical structure of the parks themselves. Oh, I, I'd agree with you completely. Uh, this title really looks not, not just at Disneyland or Disney World, but it does go overseas and looks at Disneyland Paris. But yeah, it takes some of the minute details and really does a good job of explaining uh, a theme we're going to run across in all of the books we talk about are color choices. And there are so many um, large pull-out board, not pull-out boards in the books, but color boards that the Imagineers used, which explains all the color choices for the uh, 
the different buildings and the different areas and it, it's just simply mind-boggling i mean there's there's a great section on developing the haunted mansion and how it went from a decrepit older mansion to what you actually see at disneyland today and you know a ride layout for the indiana jones and the temple of the forbidden eye at disneyland which i gotta send this page to eric i know he'll want to see it <laughs> so of course but it, it, it is a wonderful book and and i agree with everything you said on if you, if you could stand to walk around disney world or disneyland with it go for it but <laughs> i think i might be enjoying the uh the view myself so but yeah it's it's a great title if you can find it it, it it's it is this one is actually still in print which is the only one of the three that is so you still can find it relatively cheap on the first a first-hand market, but you may have to uh, buy it on Amazon or eBay or something like that. Right. And one of the things that copy. one of the things that, that I definitely took away from the book that I really enjoyed really goes back to the title of the book itself. It talks about the architecture of reassurance, and you might say, "Well, what what really does that mm-hmm. mean?" And it's just about how such care was used for all the environmental and architectural decisions that they made from color to things that they even left out. You know, they, they got rid of the Disneyland newspaper because they didn't want garbage littering the streets like it would be in a regular town. And it's all the things that they do to make the land and the parks so accessible and so inviting and to feel like you were at home. And, you know, that's that quality. That's a thing that, that intangible thing that we as Disney fans who say that we get it, we can't define. And that's what the book really tries to help you also give a greater appreciation of and I think the book appeals can appeal to the casual fan to get a great appreciation I thought it, I think it's also valuable for uh, a research tool the only criticism I have George is that I would love to have seen an index in the back for research and reference yeah I can I, <laughs> being the librarian you know that's one of the first thing I always look at when I look at a book is you know what's the table of contents what the index what does the index look like and you're right the index is non-existent there is not one but it, it, when you were talking about the the casual disney fan or somebody who's just getting started this is an amazing title because it, flipping the pages you come across beautiful full color portraits black and white architectural portraits uh, renderings paintings that were done there's a you know just past a picture of the polynesian hotel or a drawing of the polynesian hotel when it was going to be a 15 16 story building almost like the contemporary with vines all over it and you just anybody is going to enjoy this work yeah and i think it's just beautiful i think unlike the next book that we're going to cover this is more about the psychology behind what was done rather than how it was done and maybe that's a good way to sort of lead to the next book um on our list okay yep the next one that we both agreed on is called building a dream the Art of Disney Architecture. And I can tell everybody's going to get confused with the title, so to make sure we get them right in the show notes. This one was by Beth, Don- Beth Dunlop, and it was uh, published in 1995. And it was kind of hard to track down some current information about her. She is an award-winning architecture critic for the Miami Herald. Uh, she was there from 79 to 93 and now contributes columns. So she knows her stuff. And when you hear the word architecture... It, it kind of gives you an idea of what we're going to find in this book. Uh, the, the book does cover some similar ground to the first one of Marling's work that we just spoke about, but it is vastly different in mm-hmm. its scope, its presentation, and its theme. Uh, Ms. Dunlop takes a very serious approach to Disney architecture and, and really focuses on the buildings that were 
not everything in Disney architecture. I know it's hard to it's hard to focus on because she does a lot of looking at what was done in the past, but a lot of what she focuses on was sort of done in the Eisner days. Right. And I think that's you can get a very good uh, sense of that when you go through the book. Right. Yeah. She she definitely covers the evolution of the original Main Street, for example, and Future mm-hmm. World, and you know some parts of Epcot. But there's definitely a much more contemporary, almost corporate feel, and ve- like you said, very very much focuses on the Eisner era, maybe from '85, '95, and sort of the trendy contemporary things that he was going to try and bring into not just the Disney parks and buildings but the corporate offices oh yeah definitely I mean if you've read any of the you know the early literature you know Walt wanted the public areas of course to look amazing and beautiful and the backstage areas I mean looking at Van Arsdale France's book Window on Main Street which I know we're not reviewing today but I think they were in a small trailer behind Main Street for years before they even got a real building because Walt wanted to spend all of his money up front. And I think this is a perfect example of the shift, sort of the paradigm shift that Eisner did where he saw architecture as an art form and wanted to leave that as one of his legacies, which he really, really did. I mean, if you look at the buildings, they're absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, this this book done by Beth Dunlop, so she did not have a lot of contributors helping her with it, but the photographs are absolutely yeah gorgeous in this book um, and you get a lot of details of the inside of hotels and office buildings that you would normally not see um, an example of uh, some of the chapter headings she talks about architecture with the plot mm. which sort of t- looks at what we did before uh, there's a section called enter Eisner which I think you know when Eisner took over with his building plan and then looking at European and American castles meaning you know Disneyland Paris and everything else and, and what Disney actually did in Europe and the kind of building that they did. Um, it, when, when it actually showcases, you know, the architecture of the parks and the resorts. But the book really shines, in my opinion, when discussing the changes that began with Eisner for the architecture. Uh, the hotels at Walt Disney World, what he did with Euro Disney at the time, and all of the corporate you know, edifices, for lack of a better word. The, uh, the, my favorite parts, though, of the book were the section called Off to Work We Go and On to Europe because the Off to Work We Go highlights all the stuff that was done for the Disney Corporation, more or less here in the, in the U.S. Like uh, my favorite two buildings, the, uh, the Walt Disney World Team Disney Building by Arata um, – I'm going to mess this one up <laughs> – Izozaki or Izozaki, which is the um, – Oh, and the, uh, the Casting Center by Robert Stern. Both of those you can see off of I-4, right before you hit the downtown Disney exits. The Casting Center actually looks like a castle with yellow and white Harlequin patterns on it. And Aizazaki's Team Disney building looks like a multicolored steam liner on its side. They're just amazing, beautiful buildings that you can't go inside unless you're applying for a job. But they're fantastic. And it's just a perfect example of what's in the book. The Europe section, of course, surprisingly focuses on the downtown Disney and all the hotels of Disneyland Paris as opposed to Disneyland Paris itself, the park. And it's a great look at all of the hotels. Uh, the, you know, the Santa Fe Hotel, designed after New Mexico. <laughs> the Sequoia Lodge after the Wilderness Lodge. The Newport Bay was obviously uh, based on the Yacht and Beach Club. 
and the Cheyenne was a Wild West in the Hotel New York is obvious, but a, a large chunk of the book really is dedicated to the hotels and the, the downtown Disney area, Disneyland Paris, which really gives it that focus on Eisner. And it's, but still, it's a great book. I'm not going to knock it. <laughs> no, I, and there's clearly a favoritism towards I, what Eisner did by bringing in names in the architectural field, you know, people who had, had won prizes for their work, as opposed to Walt Disney who said, oh, by the way, you, you're an animator? Okay, well, now you're going to go design a set for, for our attractions <laughs> and our theme park. Um, <laughs> but you're right, and, and it's funny because my notes, too, I wrote about the Team Disney and casting buildings. I've actually had the opportunity to go inside and walk through, and it's ooh, ooh, ah, yeah. Wow. But you know what? <laughs> you walk in a Team Disney building, and you're like, wow, you don't feel like you're, you do not feel as though you are in Walt Disney World at all. It is very... Um, it's very much a sterile type environment when you first walk in. It's a very corporate environment until you get to the sundial and the Japanese garden, and there's no Mickey Mouses everywhere. And that's kind of what Eisner brought in that was very, very different. Now, the casting building, very different. It's, it's very whimsical with the whites and the golds. It's, it's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful building on the inside. And if you do ever get occasion to, to go in there, um, it, it's something to check out. But like you said, the photos in the book are absolutely beautiful. Um, but there's clearly... I don't want to say it, there's a bias towards Eisner, but um, <laughs> she feels that maybe his work is a little bit more exciting uh, that mm-hmm. in the last you know, 10, 15 years than maybe what was done in sort of the early sort of growth uh, of the parks. Oh, I, yeah, I'd agree completely. It, you know, Eisner really brought a, what uh, he, in his mind, a grown-up level of architecture. And it all started with the Swan and Dolphin were the first buildings that he sort of had commissioned or had designed and just kind of went from there and it's it's you know we don't want to sound negative we keep mentioning Eisner I mean he really had his strengths Uh, architecture was one of them and it's this book really showcases all the brilliant architects that Eisner I mean he gave them full reign and said you know design the buildings it's gorgeous beautiful book it's in my mind it's worth the price just for the photos of the resort hotels the company buildings from all over the world it is it is just beautiful. Yeah, there, there's more beautiful. than 200 pictures in the book, and like I said, worth the price. Um, which it, now is this book still in print? Nope, this book is out of print, but easily available on the secondhand market. You can still find some that are being sold for less than it retailed. Um, and it's a really good find, really, really, really good find. And I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna just flip through some more pictures. Tell me when you're ready to move on. Yeah. Just, uh. No, I, I, I like the book too. Obviously, very heavy into architecture. There are stories, like you said, about the Swan and Dolphin. There's also stories about the creation of the Team Disney building, which I found mm. very interesting. Uh, it is it a little bit more, you know, heavy than some of the other books? Absolutely, but I think um, it's still very much an educational thing. If you really want to, if you really want to learn about what goes on and what kind of went into the creation of these things above and beyond the theme parks themselves. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as accessible as the first one we talked about, but the pictures are on the same level. Uh, it's wonderful. It's a good picture so, book. Is that- it's a good picture book. That's what we're going to say yes. We're just going to say yes. It's a nice picture book and uh, you know, it's something that you can just dream about and you know, while away the hours looking at the pictures. So. And, and just so you know, a quick aside, I didn't want I hope that my comment about her being favored towards Eisner was meant to be a, a criticism of him at all. I, I don't think so. I think it's very easy for people to remember the bad things or, or the negative things about what somebody did, and, and lest we forget that the change that Eisner brought about to this company and what he brought about 
to us for fans. You know, mm -hmm. go to Disney's Hollywood Studios. You can thank Michael Eisner. So um, I don't think it's a bad thing. You might not like the way the Swan and Dolphin is is designed, or <laughs> but you know, you don't always have to necessarily look at it as as a uh, a mar on on Eisner's tenure. But anyway, yeah, I, I, digress. I agree with you, I Lou. No, no, Lou, I agree with you perfectly. I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, I think you know he did so many great things, and I think people just remember the last. 10 years of his tenure. I mean, after Frank Wells passed away and that's, you know, we, we just have to get past that and look at where we are today and, you know, where we would have been otherwise, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll say that for another segment when we segment, when we look at all the biographies and stuff like that, that's, that's next week, right? Yeah. yeah we'll <laughs> all right. Let's, I think, I think, look, we clearly made the choice to save what I think we both agree is the best of these three books for last. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, it, it is it, – it's in my personal top five. Um, I, know, I know Tim Foster's not here. He can't jump in with his. But uh, it's, it's a fantastic read. It is Designing Disney, Imagineering and the Art of Show by the late John Hench, illustrious Imagineer. Everybody should know his name. And uh, it, it was published in 2003. He has passed away since then. And uh, the book was 160 pages, and I bring that up because it is 160 amazing pages. Love this book. Um, Hench was one of Walt's most trusted Imagineers, uh, was brought into the company in 39 and quickly tapped to uh, work on Disneyland. Uh, he was responsible for the color choices and designs for every Disney theme park, and uh, it, says so in every other publication just about uh, I've read that he is considered the color guru or he was considered the color guru which just that's his thing uh, and along with Marty Sklar we bring him up again basically Marty and John Hench designed Epcot Center pretty much um, as I mentioned this book is in my personal top five I love it uh, what's great about it is Hench takes us on more or less a personal tour of his career with Disney um the as we said before, the artwork, the concept sketches, the drawings are amazing. Uh, from what we've said, you you would honestly think that all we really cared about was the artwork. <laughs> it's just the artwork is just so beautiful and it just pops. But I think the real star of this book is the narrative that Hench provides, right. the stories that he tells, the background behind designing attractions, picking out colors. Um, he he relishes telling these stories. And, and his thoughts on color and how design influences everything. And you still hear Imagineers going, you know, you know, this is what John Hench told us. This is what this. I know there was a story in the book where he talked about trying to pick the colors for Epcot Center, for the buildings, that they knew there were going to be lots of concrete and lots of exposed steel in some areas. And he said it would be one of my poor assistants' job to climb up on top of the steel beams and hold up a huge piece of plywood or cardboard that had been painted a specific color so they could see what it looked like. He was that into it that they would paint 20 different boards and put them all over so they could see how the grass and how the, the sun and the clouds would change the focus of the colors. And wow, I mean, it's this book is incredible. Absolutely love it. And, you know, we keep talking about how color is so important. And people might be saying, well, wait a minute, how much could you honestly talk about color? But he does, and, he, and like you said, he explains it, and he shows you with color samples and how he does and what he does to tell these stories in such a personal way. Like you said, I love the way he writes. I, I love the way he told the story in this book. And stories, like you said, about uh, one of my favorites is 
over at the American Adventure. The oh, yeah. different colors, the shades of the brick, and the three or four different shades of white, and how he takes into account how they interact with their surroundings, how they look in sunlight, how they look at nighttime, how they look with ambient light or yeah, artificial light. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah, the, the compact fluorescence, everything. One of my favorite sections is is in the one of the the forewords that Marty Sklar says, and it was like when they were building Epcot in the early '80s. United Technologies, which was you know sponsoring the Living Seas Pavilion, the CEO uh, it, it insisted that John paint the exterior of the pavilion bright white, and I think this is a testament to how confident uh, Hench was. It says, Mr. Gray, John shot back, there are 33 shades of white in my palette. Do you have a favorite? And I think that's just him. I mean, 33 shades of white. There are, there are what, like four or five shades on the American <laughs> Adventure itself right. for shadows and other things. I mean, the man was brilliant, absolutely a genius, and wow. <laughs> most of it is, most most of the artwork is there is his, it's his concept artwork. A lot of stuff for the, you know, the Ford Pavilion, the adventure through uh, at the World's Fair, adventure through inner space. Oh, just, uh, yeah, I, I kind of yeah. get tongue-tied talking about such a great book. The one of the sections, as you mentioned, he talks about color individually, mm -hmm. and he goes through each color of the uh, of the spectrum that he uses, and talks about, you know, color as a storytelling element. Color welcomes guests. Color clarifies guest decisions. It establishes the identity. I mean, he just rolls and pulls out color boards and shows you, you know, uh, the color supports the story, the structure. Uh, it's just mind-boggling to me, and the moods, and you know, what each what each color really means to him, and and what it does. It's just, you know, we should have done a whole segment on this book. No, I, I you're right <laughs> because color it wasn't just a choice about what looks good. Color was meant to set a tone, set a theme, and like you said, tell a story and. The other thing too was that he would, he and so many of the other people who were involved, didn't just sit behind their desk and come up with these things. They went to the parks. They wanted to interact with the guests, observe them up close, see what they liked, see how they were being treated, see how they responded to things that they were doing that helped him improve upon what he was doing in the future. And again, we talk about something that that's as similar, as simple as color, but what deliberate choices were made about tiny little variations in shade and, and texture and and, uh, and lighting, which is so, so important to the storytelling element. Oh, yeah. When they were uh, designing the Disneyland Paris Castle and uh, the Disneyland Hotel that straddles the park, so to speak, and they did the same thing with the color samples, and they realized because of the Paris sky was a little cloudy, a little more diffuse, they had to have a special color, and they ended up working with all these pinks. But they paired the hotel with a red because a red, the red roof would be welcoming. You know, I mean, he could have gone with like a baked bean color. Who knows what he would have done? But I mean, the man knew what he was doing, and it was all about making us as guests feel comfortable and associate with it. Or, I mean, if you look at Expedition Everest, that's not really talked about in this book. But after reading the book, you can look at it and go, look at all the browns and the dark colors, a little more ominous, and it gives you that sense of there's a little bit more fear, something to be a little bit. Or frightened of, and it's it's just incredible the the stories that he's able to tell in the book. You're right, and when he talks about using it to create the illusions of the reality that they're trying to portray, uh, it, you know, it really, I mean, it, it might be somewhat 
far-reaching, but it's really art. I mean, what they do is art, but in different than something that you'd hang on the wall. What they put out there in the parks and in the resorts truly is art. Is art. And I, after reading it, I found myself not looking at the parks the same way again, and I would hope that that is what other people would take away from the book when they read it as well. Oh, I think they would as well. Uh, I mean, one of the, the whole chapters in the book is called The Art of Character. And it basically follows the evolution of the characters in the theme parks. And they show some of the early uh, rather barbaric costumes that, you know, were there and, and how they developed over the years. And, and one thing in, in the final chapter is, is called Mickey and Me. And he really talks about his close personal relationship with Mickey Mouse. You know, John Hench is the official portrait artist of Mickey Mouse. Back when uh, Walt had Mickey's 25th birthday, he asked all of his staff to create a portrait. And Hench was the only one who did one in oil. And it was hanging in Walt's, Walt's uh, stu- uh, office until he passed away. And every year since then, or on special occasions, John has been the one that's painted the official portrait. The man is in love with Mickey Mouse and re- understands how important it is and how Mickey relates to us as, uh, as park goers and you know Disney guests and well, I, I feel like I'm just rambling. Lou. No, I mean, so caught, much in love with this book. It's just you're right about Mickey, but that's the way. And you'll see as you read the book, he talks about a lot of things that way, very much on a grand scale, and I think deservedly so. He talks about how Disneyland is our greatest achievement, and Mickey he called the symbol of life. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty that's a pretty yeah. bold statement when you're talking about a cartoon character. Um, but again, I, I think he and the book are are truly one of the best ones out there definitely worthy of a place very very uh high up in in the geek library yes and uh this one is currently out of print you can find uh find it fairly probably about at this at the time of recording about 30 32 dollars on the uh secondhand market but you know don't hold your breath but from what I understand, in the professional circles, there is a paperback version being released in January. Now, Hench did pass away a while ago, but they're bringing out a second edition in paperback, and I'm hoping to be there will be some updates, maybe including Hong Kong Disneyland and some of the design choices they made there. So, you know, if uh, this is one I definitely think you should have, definitely pick this one up out of all three of them. Uh, and even if you have a hard time finding it, just hold out a little while. There should be a paperback coming out. But don't hold your breath for too long. Yeah, I agree. Not at all. I, I Not think- at all. I think we can probably say that we liked each of the books for different reasons. Uh, Clearly, the Hench book is at the top of the list because of of who he was and because of his artwork that's in there. And I think the way he wrote it. And to that point, I actually hope that they don't add additional parts about other parks because this is all John Hench. This is all you get a sense of who John Hench was because of the way he wrote. And I sort of hope they keep the integrity of the book like that and keep it just from his pen and from his mind as opposed to having somebody else try and add on to it. So, Well, I can see what you're saying. I'm not going to pull a Jeff Pepper and totally disagree <laughs> with you on this one. But what I was saying, they do mention Hong Kong Disneyland and that they were working on the book. And I think it'd be great to see something near the end, maybe as an, uh, you know, an addendum near the end of the book or a secondary, uh, an extra chapter that talks about some of John's work that he did in between the publication of this book and moving on. Still treat it with complete and utter a deferential respect but you know just focus on some of the things he's done in the past few years because it does talk a little bit about the animal kingdom and he mentions hong kong disneyland and the color choices and what they had to do but they don't get into a lot of detail 
and uh, I think that would be a fantastic addition to the book if if anybody <clears throat> is listening that you know from Disney editions that you know wants my opinion, <clears throat> which I'm sure they do. And uh, <laughs> this, uh, not much else I can say about Alu. This book is great. It it does have an index, which is very good, <laughs> and the second one does have an index as well. But um, it, it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful. As you said, you get a great sense of. John Hench and who he was and what it was like working for Walt Disney and how much respect Hench had for Walt and what Walt wanted to do. That Walt loved the guests. He truly did. And really made Disneyland for everybody. But I don't have that in print for the lawyers that we can, you know, say it's a public domain. So I'm working on it. Well, great, George. Thank you very much for coming back on. Um, I really appreciate you taking time. And we're going to do this again. We've got many, many, many more books in our library, many sort of themes and topics that we want to cover doing some more book reviews in the future. Yeah, I, th- I think I did my count. I've got about another 193 left that we can go through. So I'm excited. I've got my next pile ready to go. You just tell me when. So, But uh, <laughs> as always, Lou, this was awesome. I enjoy coming on the show and sharing the books with people. And uh Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. And if, and if you didn't catch George down in North Carolina, you can catch him over at ImagineNerding.com. George, thanks again, buddy. Thanks, Lou. With the summer season in full swing, you might find yourself in Walt Disney World spending more time doing something that you might otherwise not enjoy, and that's waiting. Waiting for attractions, waiting to eat, waiting for shows. But this isn't necessarily a bad thing. As you know, I've always said that there's so much more to do in Walt Disney World than just enjoy those elements and those aspects of it. And in fact, I think you can use this extra time to have some fun with your family and friends. And how? by looking for some of those hidden treasures that I often speak about, and of course, everyone's favorite pastime, hunting for hidden Mickeys. And since I'm in an Adventureland mood with the release of the new audio guide coming up, I wanted to bring back Steve Barrett, Mr. Hidden Mickeys to you and me, to lead us on a virtual Hidden Mickeys hunt in one of my favorite lands, and that's Adventureland. So Steve, are you uh, are you ready to trade in your, your trademarked fedora for a pith helmet and uh, enter the dangerous jungles of Adventureland? Absolutely, Lou. Uh, actually, I wear my wide-brimmed hat whenever I'm at Disney World anywhere, but especially Adventureland. See, so it's a perfect fit. This is You were born to do the, the Hidden Mickeys in Adventureland. <laughs> yes, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful place. There are unique and interesting Hidden Mickeys in Adventureland. Yeah, I was going to ask you, because... You know, Adventureland is just so alive. I mean, because of the landscaping and because of the elements and everything else like that, do you find a lot of almost sort of hidden Mickeys that are like more natural or, or created by things like with, you know, rocks or plants or trees or a lot of them still deliberate and decorative ones that you might find in architecture? Well, uh, what comes to mind uh, when you said that was a, a hidden Mickey in the Swiss family uh, treehouse that uh, has been there a while. In fact, it's, it's fading a bit. And maybe some of the listeners know about it. I, I uh, don't go on the treehouse all that often. I, I do to check out this hidden Mickey. 
but it's a wonderful side profile of Mickey on uh, on the treehouse. And if you haven't seen it, the next time you're in Adventureland, you need to uh, you know trek up the, the steps of the treehouse and and find it. It's um, it's against the uh, treehouse itself. It's on the tree, and the best way to see it is to when you pass the boys' bedroom as you're walking down from the boys' bedroom is to your right, and it's in some algae on on the tree, but it's uh, a perfect side profile of Mickey Mouse. And the last time I looked uh, looked at it was uh, a couple of months ago, and it it was uh, it was faded. It, it, it was faded, so it's harder to see now. But that makes it even more special to me. So that that's kind of a natural Mickey. It's in the algae of the tree and clearly put there by Imagineers. Now, is this one that hopefully there's a picture of on your site? Because it sounds, I mean, yes. with the tree being so big and, and Again, you talk about it, finding it in, in sort of green moss or algae. Uh, I have to assume this is one that's pretty hard to spot. Yes, you have to know right where it is. Most people don't don't see it. You have to know where it is. And yes, I have uh, two photos on my website of this hidden Mickey. All right. What about, you know, do you have one or two other sort of real favorites in this land that either you like hunting for or you like showing off to people? Oh, absolutely. The, uh, one of, it's become one of my favorites. It's certainly in my top 20 uh, hidden Mickeys at Disney World is, is the relatively new classic pre-circle Mickey in the, along the left queue of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's an early section of the queue. I think it's maybe the second right turn. But you, you turn into a, a little bit of a room, and there's a, a faux fireplace on the wall to the right. And if you look above and to the right of that fireplace, on, on kind of the bevel of the wall, about seven feet up, there is a very light but distinct uh, classic three-circle Mickey. It was evidently put there when when Pirates was refurbished uh, fairly recently, last year, and it's it's a it's just a beautiful hidden Mickey. I love showing showing people, especially people that don't know about hidden Mickey's, because they they see it and automatically it registers. Oh, that's what a hidden Mickey is because mm-hmm. it, they see Mickey there. That that's become one of my very favorites. Yeah, this the left queue of pirates. Or I was going to say, it's on the left-hand queue in that uh, sort of dining hall area. And the last time I was down there, I was with some people who pointed this out to me. And it's funny because we really stopped the whole line because the people in front of us and the people behind us both had kids who were just enthralled by the fact that they that we pointed out this hidden Mickey, where they sort of overheard us pointing out this hidden Mickey there. And it was like the kids found gold in the queue. Yes, that's exactly the the response I often get when 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 people are waiting in the queue and, and uh, they they see this Mickey image. So that that's uh, as you mentioned uh, uh, to begin this conversation. Uh, many of the queues in Disney World attractions and really attractions all Disney attractions all over the world. Many of the queues have wonderful hidden Mickey images. And this is one of them in the queue. It makes the waiting, if you are waiting in line, uh, a lot more fun. And that's what I was saying. It adds, 
you know, hunting for hidden Mickeys adds such a great element to the vacation because you don't have to set time aside to do it. It's completely free, other than your very inexpensive books. Um, <laughs> and it's great because adults and kids love doing it. It just kind of adds another layer onto the vacation. Uh, and just when that kid's starting to just about hit the wall, you can say something, even if there's none around. You say, come on, let's go look for hidden Mickeys, and they get new life. Yes. Yes, it's, it's definitely a fun game. I, I, I've been doing it intensely since I first wrote the first Hidden Mickeys book back six years ago. And I just love love doing it. I I go out there, and I really don't uh, have to find them myself much anymore because I get so many emails from people uh, with photos that uh, are finding new ones. So I spend all my time verifying sightings pretty much. I, I do talk with cast members uh, periodically about uh, any new Hidden Mickeys they know of, but... Uh, Usually, I'm just verifying other posts. Now, Pirates has... Uh, uh, there are two hidden Mickey images in Pirates that have highlighted... I have a questionable section on my website that people vote on marginal images. And that, that has become pretty successful. It's helped me a lot. And one of the ones voted in was uh, the three-circle Mickey image on Davy Jones' hat. Uh, when he appears in the mist at the first part of the pirate's ride, there is a uh, uh, three small circles on the uh, lower brim of his hat uh, above his forehead. It's on the it's on his right our left uh, corner of the front of the hat. There are three circles there, and I I, were, I wasn't enamored of it when I first saw it, but the more people wrote me, and, and people really voted positively on the website, and I've come to like it, too. It's, it seems to be purposeful, even though it's not perfectly proportioned, but I think it's a, it's a great three-circle Mickey image. And when you know where to look for it, it's, uh, most people can see it when Davy Jones appears in the mist. See, now somebody had told me that there was a, a hidden Mickey, a, you know, a real, real small hidden Mickey in his hat or on his face somewhere and I'm like come on you you gotta be crazy first of all your boat is moving he's moving it's a it's a fleeting image that's the thing that amazes me is how people are able to pick up these tiny tiny obscure hidden mickeys while they're moving while the images are moving uh, in such you know in such short amount of time I'm amazed too Lou I some people are just very good at it and and I've I've learned their names by the way because they, they when they write me uh, about images I've learned to trust them and these people are, are very sharp and with good eyesight and 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 know where to look they have to know where to look too there there tends to be um, a recurring theme about where Imagineers are hiding Mickey and if you look in the right places you you can find new ones. The other one that's on my questionable site now that people are really voting positively for is uh, is a Mickey image on a pirate's hat. He's the pirate in the toward the last part of the ride who, whose leg is dangling over us. He's got mud on his leg and he's, it's kind of a hairy leg. 
I don't know if you remember that that pirate. He's sitting on a bridge sure. o- over the boat, and um, he he has a he has a hat on uh, with a skull on it, and the the left eye of the skull sort of looks like a three circle Mickey image. It's a, it's a little bit distorted. Um, and I finally got a good photo of it. Somebody sent me a, uh, a, a decent photo of it, so I put it on the questionable site, questionable part of the website, and so far, people are really, really liking it. Many more people like it than don't. Uh, than don't. But it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a fairly uh, close... Uh, it's, clearly, it's different from the right eye of the skull, so... Maybe maybe it was purposeful as a Mickey image, and, I, and again, I'm beginning to like it more when I got the good image of it. Yeah, you know, I pulled it up as you started talking about it. I saw it on the questionable section of the Hidden Mickey's catalog on your site, and when I first saw it, I said, "Well, no, it's just you know a rip, or it's just a you know a, some sort of a malformed skull." And then the right. more I'm looking at it, you're like, "You know what? I, I think that could be a hidden Mickey." <laughs> <laughs> The left eye of the skull. You see what I'm talking about there? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and and for people who are listening, obviously it's hard to picture, but you have, you have to go to the site and see it. And, and again, this is the great thing about the site, too, is you can vote on it and see. And right now, the votes are overwhelmingly in favor of it being a, yes. a hidden Mickey. Yeah, so I'm going to add that to the uh, accepted part of the site fairly soon. Um, now, the Jungle Cruise, I, I want to mention a new one. I haven't put it on the site yet, but it is a marvelous uh, hidden Mickey that Jesse Klein sent me. Jesse Klein is one of those spotters I've known for a number of years. He lives in Orlando, but he uh, he really knows how to find hidden Mickeys. And he sent me an image. It's, it's uh, again, you're in the queue of Jungle Cruise, and sometimes that queue can be fairly long, you know. I, in fact, I usually get a fast pass for Jungle Cruise because... Uh, you know, the wait is often very long after the late morning. But anyway, uh, there's a there's a hut across the river from the loading dock, and it has a sign on it hanging on it that says "Keep Out." Mm-hmm. But above the above that hut is a tree, and uh, the tree has two trunks, and on the on the right trunk, just where it bends is a is a white three circle Mickey, and if, again, if you know where to look for it, it's um, you can see it. And uh, I've I've uh, I've got close up photos of it, and I and I'm convinced it's it's uh, it's a decent three circle classic Mickey. I'll put it on my site soon. So that's one to look for um, when you're next to Jungle Cruise. See, Stephen, everybody makes fun of me for not just going on the rides and enjoying the rides. Now people are looking across the river at the uh, at the little <laughs> boathouse over there. But, I mean, I would never would have even thought to, to look for one. Right. Again, it's not it's not proportioned perfectly, but the head is, is larger than the ears and a little bit larger. And it just looks like it was put there on purpose. I agree with Jesse on that one. I kind of like it. So, uh and that's a new one, and he, he just sent me that uh, probably a month or so ago. So you have to keep looking. You know, the Imagineers, um, they, they, they put them in. When They're a crafty bunch. Yeah. <laughs> and especially, obviously, when rides get refurbished and things like that. You must just drool when a ride goes down for refurb because now you've got 
you know, a totally new place to go and check out. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you know. well, Toy Story Mania is a good, good example. I mean, you know there's hidden Mickeys in there, and there are some great new hidden Mickeys in that ride. So whenever a new attraction comes online or one is refurbished, that's it's ripe for new hidden Mickeys, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely have to cover Toy Story Mania, because I remember when I went, when it very first opened, and I'm looking at the queue, just sort of enjoying all the little details, and a lot of people were saying, all right, let's see if I can be the first guy to find a hidden Mickey here. And I actually saw one. I actually found a hidden Mickey in the queue. You um, did? Yeah, well, I should say we. There was a bunch of us, and, and it was pointed out. And it was on the wall by the floor uh, in the paint, sort of a, a little yes. purple hidden Mickey. Yes, a number of people have uh, sent me photos of that one. That I like that one. That's a good one. In fact, uh, recently I was there and... Uh, Again, it's one of those I, I showed the people in the in the queue, and you know there's a lot of excitement because you have to you know it's not it's not that evident. It's behind the, some poles, uh, the railing, and you have to uh, know where to look to see it. Yeah, and you know Toy Story Mania anywhere in the parks. You know we were talking about Adventureland. One of the things I love most is even if I'm not looking for them, or if I'm in a queue, or if I'm just sort of sitting down. And when you see a kid, especially, find a hidden Mickey, they get this sort of, you know, look about them and this, this sense of pride that they were able to find them and they were able to show their mom and dad. And that's one of the things that I love about oh, what great. they're doing. Yes. And, and that's why I think your books are awesome because, you know, you can go to your site and you can see the catalog, but when you take the book with you and you can play with your kids and say, okay, kids, there's supposed to be a hidden Mickey here in, you know, this part of the queue Everybody has something to do. Everybody has something to play in. And even if you let your son or you let your daughter find it first, uh, again, there's that sense mm-hmm. of pride and sense of accomplishment. It's pretty cool. Well, you know, the other thing, Lou, that I wrestle with is uh, Hidden Mickey's disappear as well. It has to be an Imagineer's decision to, to remove an image. If the Imagineers don't like it, it it's going to go away. And some Hidden Mickey's are lost because of that. See, but that's good for you because now you have a reason to keep going back to Walt Disney World because <laughs> your quest is never over. Your job is never technically it's finished. never done. You, you know, know, miles to go before I sleep. Exactly. Like you that. can't finish a book and be like, okay, I'm done. You know, move on to the next project. So, And, right. uh, and again, the books are, are, are great, but they obviously only come out every so often. But the site you keep updating all the time, that's hiddenmickeysguide.com. I encourage you to go. See the site, go through the catalog, browse some of the hidden Mickeys. You can even print out the pictures, take them along with you. Uh, and if you find your own, you could submit them. You can vote on some of the questionable ones. So, again, Steve, this is always fun for me. I think it's fun for the listeners to kind of get um, sort of pointed in the right direction to find some of your favorites. And uh, I know I'm looking forward to seeing you in the next couple of weeks over at Magic Meets and obviously again down at Walt Disney World soon. Absolutely, Lou. It's always a pleasure for me as well.
back into the past, into the days of the, the pirates, you know, where the old Caribbean area was full of pirates and they're always sacking towns and things. Okay, so it's time for the big announcement. Uh, The time has finally come, and I first want to thank you for your patience. Um, I've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. Over that time, many of you have emailed me thinking that maybe you knew exactly what I was talking about and thoughts ranged from many things, some that were very, very personal about me to simple things maybe about the audio guide or, or some other product I'm coming out with. But as I said, this is so not about me. This announcement is about you because it's for you and you the listeners really have been the driving force behind what I've been able to do and the success of the show and I wanted to do something that would be fun and engaging for you and really somewhat rewarding as my way of saying thanks and while working on the Adventureland audio guide CD I was inspired to do something for you guys that would celebrate the release of the guide itself so in the true spirit of adventure We have created the Adventureland Challenge Contest. And with the help of MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, and HiddenMickey'sGuide.com, we are seeking the ultimate adventurer, and that could be you. And to help me talk about the contest and, and everything that goes with it, I, of course, want to welcome... Everybody's favorite travel agent, the hardest working woman in the business, <laughs> Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel. Oh. Hi, Lou. Thank you so much for having me tonight. Thank you for, for being here and joining me, not just in helping to sponsor what we're doing here, but to really help describe for the listeners exactly what it is that we're going to be doing and kind of saving the big part of our announcement uh, really sort of for, for the end of the discussion. Oh, I am so excited about this entire process. I, I've been just chomping at the bit to get this thing going. <laughs> well, we've been, you know, we've I, I've mentioned it on the show over the past couple of weeks, but we've really been working on this for probably four months or so. And, and when you maybe as, as you listen and hear exactly what we're talking about, you'll see exactly why. Uh, so let's go ahead. Let's tell them about the contest itself. And then along the way, we'll talk about some of the, the cool things that we're going to be doing as well. Great. All right, the contest basically is going to begin with a virtual sort of online scavenger hunt that's going to have various challenges and puzzles that all relate to Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. These puzzles and quests are going to lead you on a a quest from puzzle to puzzle and to various websites. And don't worry, because whether you're a Walt Disney World expert or a novice or a first-timer, The challenges are just meant to be fun. They're not meant to be tricky. They're engaging for everybody. They're for all levels, whether they're kids, adults. They're easy enough for everybody to play. It's obviously completely free. There's no purchase required. And it's like an open book test. You can use your Adventureland Audio Guide CD, now available, or the internet, or books, or whatever you want. Um, Of course, void word prohibited by law. Uh, The contest (laughs) is going to start... On July 21st, we'll give you all the details, and there's also you're going to get all the full rules on the website. It's going to start on July 21st. It's going to run until August 2nd. After you collect, what you'll do is, as you go through the quests and all the different puzzles, you will gather all your answers, and you can actually write them down on a, on a, a form, basically, that will allow you to print out. Then once it's done, you could submit those answers via an online form before the contest end date. Of course, the contest is open to anybody and everybody, as long as you're over 18 and you live in the 50 United States, void where prohibited by law, all that on the kind of fine print. 
But like I said, Becky, that is just that first part of the, of the contest is just the beginning. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take the first 15 correct entries that are submitted that are going to advance to round two. But don't worry, because if you're not one of the first 15 to get all the right answers in, that's okay. Because we're also going to select 10 more entries randomly that had all the correct answers as well. So you don't have to worry about getting your answers in fast. Just make sure that they're, that they're right, because 25 people are going to move forward to the next round. Wow. But, but, before we move to the next round, there's always a but. There's lots of buts. I'm a lawyer. There's always buts and (laughs) wherefores. and, and We also want to thank people just for playing. So what we're also going to do is we're going to select 10 more random entries from those that got all the questions correct but didn't advance to round two. So if they weren't one of the random or first of the 25 that go to round two, if you get them all right, we're going to select 10 more and we're going to give each one of them, each one of those people, a $20 Disney gift card that they can spend nice. either in the Disney stores or in the Disney parks. Nice. So it's, like I said, it's sort of just a thank you for playing. You have a chance to win, even if you don't move along. But we also want to do something else tool, cool for everybody that's playing as well. And everybody that gets to play and follows along in the quests are also going to be able to take advantage of exclusive incentives from some of the sponsors and partners, like from All Star Vacation Home. If you if you rent a qualifying vacation home, you can get a free rental car and a fifty dollars gas card. And Becky, why don't you tell us what you're doing for Mouse Fan Travel? Yeah, through us, we also have a couple of great incentives uh, as well that'll pop up for you. We have a couple of spots where I hear that there's going to be a um, a puzzle or two coming over to our site. And we're going to offer uh, a couple of Disney gift cards as well for with uh, certain purchases of vacations. So be on the lookout for those. Yeah, there, there's so many opportunities to win something or to get something and just have fun playing. And that's really sort of the, the goal, too, is to have you have fun but for those people, those 25 people that do advance to round two, that round, you're going to have to sort of put your creative thinking cap on. And you're going to have to come up with a funny or a clever or a unique caption to an image from Adventureland that we're going to provide you. And you're gonna, we're going to post your entries and your captions on, online. And you, the listener, can go ahead and vote on your favorite caption or, or your favorite person. And there's more. Of oh, course, that's going to be buts. awesome. It's gonna, it'll give a, a lot of opportunity for people to express their creativity. I can't wait to see what they come up with. Absolutely. And I've seen the creativity of, of some of the listeners online from what they do. So that's not the end either, because we're not going to pick a winner from just round two, because the top three vote getters are going to move on to round three. Wow. But <laughs> again, the buts. Before we move on, the 22 people that don't advance for playing and for making it to round two are each going to get an iPod shuffle and DisneyWorldTrivia.com prize package. Yay! So you now have at least a 1 in 22 chance of, of winning an iPod. So, um, But for the third round, for the final round, each of the contestants or each of the participants are going to appear on the WDW radio show. And their final challenge is basically going to be that they're going to have to prove that they are the ultimate adventurer and why they should be selected. We'll give them some questions that each one will have to answer. And then again, you, the listener, are going to have a chance to vote on who you think should be the winner. And that combined with your votes, combined with the vote, the vote of a panel of independent judges 
are going to decide who the top winner is. And when you hear, I think, what that top prize is, <laughs> you'll see that you as a listener and you as somebody that helps to get to, to vote and choose the winner, you really have the chance to make somebody's dream come true. So, um, but before we get to the ultimate adventure and the ultimate grand prize winners, let's talk about the second and third place finishers. I mean, do they get us out of steak knives and a, and a hearty pat on the back? <laughs> of course not. Each one of them, the second and third place winners, are both going to get a four-night stay at an all-star vacation home located right outside Walt Disney World. They're also going to get two four-day park hopper passes. They're going to get one iPod Nano. They're going to get a $50 Disney gift card. And of course, the icing on the cake, the the true piece de resistance, is the DisneyWorldTrivia.com gift pack with books and CDs and then the backpack, of course. Ooh, and eyes come from the audience. <laughs> but let's let's really get to what the the winner receives, what that ultimate adventurer can get. Because when I said last week that that I needed to postpone the announcement for just one more week to make the big announcement even bigger. It's really to make the grand prize even grander because the ultimate adventurer is going to win the DisneyWorldTrivia.com gift pack Ooh, ah. and an iPod Nano. Ooh, ah. Thank you. Uh-uh. On cue. <laughs> and they're also going to win a Canon digital camera. Ooh, ah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But, of course, those are all great things, Lou, but we need to give them a place to really use those items, don't you think? So, the ultimate adventure and up to three guests will also receive, and obviously this is the grand prize, five nights and six days at the Walt Disney World Resort at a select Disney Deluxe Resort. Plus, they'll be getting a Magic Your Way Park Hopper Pass for six days for each person in the party. Plus, private round-trip airport transfers from Orlando International Airport to get them to and from. That's pretty good so far, right? I think there's another plus coming. I feel it. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there's more. In the spirit of Disney and my personal belief in plussing things up every chance we get, we have some special little extras as well. And because you and I, Lou, we both know that food is an absolute must and one of the most important parts of a Disney vacation... We're also adding the Disney dining plan to the package. Nice. And what would a VIP vacation be without VIP treatment? So we plan to upgrade the winner to enjoy concierge club-level access at their deluxe resort as well. Plus, we're going to toss in an American Express gift card valued at $1,000 to spend any way they like towards transportation to Orlando, souvenirs, and so forth. But, but, but wait, there's, there's more. Even more <laughs> because Disney World has so much to offer. We want to make sure that this is a perfect experience for the winner. So members of my team and I will have a personal pre-arrival planning session with the winner to tailor the trip to the guest dreams. Um, we're planning to include some surprise pixie dust moments that I really don't want to give away just yet, but I can say that I'm going to offer Lou Mangello up as a personal cabana boy at some point. 
or a not. Family friendly, <laughs> a family-friendly version of me a is Cabana Boy. A family-friendly version of Lou Mangello, the Cabana Boy. No, actually, we're going to um, offer a private get-together for the winning party with Lou Mangello, and there'll be more details on that as we do the planning. And I'm sure along the way that there'll be a lot of additional special Pixie Dust VIP moments that are just going to be truly magical. So what do you think? Yeah, that that's what it is, is if you think that the six days, five nights at a deluxe resort with concierge, $1,000, the dining plan, the tickets, the round trip, all the other stuff is, is big, <laughs> what you don't know is really what's going to make this an incredible experience. That and the DisneyWorldTrivia.com gift pack, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. You do get that digital camera to record all of this to exactly. come back later on. Exactly. But that's, I mean, that's the great thing about this, too, is that everybody that, that's playing and everybody that is voting really has sort of the power to, to make that magic in the competition with them. Because as the contestant field begins to narrow and we go from round to round, it's going to be the listeners who are going to be really empowered to help decide which person's dreams really come true? Who is going to win that ultimate VIP adventure tour to Walt Disney World? And again, we talk about you know making dreams and the CMO and the Dream Squad and things. This is your chance to play a part in sort of distributing that magic to somebody else. And to become the ultimate adventurer in the end. Yeah, we're going to post the rules up on the site at WDWRadio.com. Um, again, this is to celebrate the release of the Adventureland CD. Of course, there's no purchase necessary to enter. Uh, again, you can check the rules for more information. Also, the contest is not where you are not affiliated with Disney or endorsed by Disney at all. So don't forget, the contest is going to begin at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. All times are always going to be local to Eastern on Monday, July 21st. And Lou, if I'm understanding that right, that's just the beginning of round one, right? Right. That's when round one is going to begin. Round one is going to end on August 2nd at 1159 p.m. Again, Eastern Standard Time. And what we're going to do to give you an idea of what the quests are going to be like, we're going to put some samples on the site. What I'll do is, in this week's show notes at WDWRadio.com, I'll put a link to some sample quests that you can download, take a look at, see exactly what you're going to be up against during that time period. And then, obviously, I'll keep you updated as the contest continues as to the other times and deadlines and then how you can vote or how you can be a part of uh, a all the fun and festivity. It's going to go on for um, for the rest of, of the, the contest. So remember, this contest, too, is all about Adventureland. It's to celebrate the release of the Adventureland audio guide, which I'm really, really excited about. I've been working on this for months. Pre-orders are still being taken for the audio guide on CD. If you order before July 12th, you can save a dollar off the Adventureland CD. If you order it with Main Street USA, they'll ship together. You can save a dollar off each one of them. And I'm also, sort of a follow-up announcement to the announcement, I'm also happy to announce that the instantly downloadable version of the guide is going to be available starting Monday, July 7th. That's just $7.99. Yeah, and that's going to have all tracks, all artwork. You can visit the store over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com or follow a link from the WDWRadio.com website. Again, for full details about the contest, how to participate, visit WDWRadio.com. I have to say big, big thanks. None of this would happen without the help and the participation of our sponsors. Steve Barrett from HiddenMickey'sGuide.com, AllStarVacations.com, and of course, Becky, thank you and everybody over at MEI and Mouse Fan Travel for what I'm sure is going to be a memorable, memorable contest and experience for the winner. 
Oh, yeah, we are so looking forward to this. And thank you so much for letting us be a part of this uh, this quest. We're really excited. I am, too. And hopefully the listeners think this is more exciting than my wife being pregnant or me moving to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, thank you, Becky. Thank you to all my other sponsors. Thanks, of course, to you, the listeners, for all your support through the years. Remember, for one lucky person, the ultimate adventure awaits. Will it be you? That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to say thanks to George Taylor and Steve Barrett for joining me this week. And of course, thanks to Becky from Mouse Fan Travel, as well as everybody over at All Star Vacation Homes and Steve Barrett from HiddenMickey'sGuide.com for their help and sponsorship of the Adventureland Challenge Contest. I don't know if you can tell, but I am very, very excited about kicking this off and hope you are as well. Visit WDWRadio.com for more details, rules, and sample challenges. Look for the image of my question mark logo and tiki torches on the site. That's where you can click to find out some more. Remember, the contest starts in just a couple of weeks, but you can pre-order the Adventureland Audio Guide CD now and save 10% if you order by July 12th. Or you can order and instantly download the entire CD right now. They come as MP3 files by chapter and include all the artwork as well. That's just $7.99 and is also available from DisneyWorldTrivia.com. To learn more, you can also watch the new video preview as well. You can look for the link on both the WDW Radio and DisneyWorldTrivia.com sites for that. And I have to give a big special thanks to Jamie Kersey from VideoEars.com. He did both the teasers for both Main Street USA and Adventureland. He'll also be at Magic Meets this year. He's going to be shooting the very first Magic Meets DVD as well. And of course, Jamie does more than just shoot mere Disney stuff. So if you're in the New England area, you have a special event coming up. I highly recommend Jamie and his team to capture those moments in a very special way. He also does home video to DVD transfers to help you get those old home movies, like your Disney vacations from the 70s, bad hair and clothes notwithstanding, onto DVD. And he can even put segments of your video into formats if you want to share them online. To learn more about Jamie, his services, see some more samples of his work, and request a price quote, you can visit and contact him online at www.videoears.com. Quickly, speaking of Magic Meat, don't forget that if you are attending, the Dream Team has done an amazing job with the more than 110 lots that are going to be auctioned off. That money is going to go to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Previews of the lots are available on DisneyWorldTrivia.com, both in the forums and in the Dream Team Project blog. You can also learn more about our efforts there and make a donation as well. On the WDW Radio site, I still have exclusive discounts from partners like $50 off your owner's locker, a free rental car, and $50 gas card from when you stay at All-Star Vacation Homes. And of course, for all of your Disney vacations, I give my highest recommendation to Mouse Fan Travel for not just the best prices and discounts, but it's really the level of personal service they offer and those extra touches that you just can't find anywhere else. For more information, obviously go to mousefantravel.com. But if you have a question that you want answered, you have a segment suggestion, anything else you'd like to hear on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can also call the voicemail and be on the air at 206-202-4WDW. That's 
You can call with questions, comments, or just to say hi. I know it's been a few weeks, but I promise to get to more of your emails in the next couple of weeks. To comment on or talk about the show with other listeners, please visit the WDW Radio Show forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. And if you are as excited about the Adventureland Challenge as I am, please help spread the word. Let others know how they can play to win a truly magical vacation to Walt Disney World. I hope you all have a great week, and thanks for tuning in again. See ya! Hey, Lou, it's Bronson Grooms from Lebanon, Indiana. I ran into you in Adventureland on June 11th, and I just wanted to say uh, how much I really appreciated uh, the time that you that you took out of your uh, busy schedule trying to prepare your Adventureland CD to uh, talk to myself and my and my uh, new bride. We were there celebrating our, uh, our honeymoon. It was a year ago on the 11th of June that I proposed to her at Disney World, and we spent the 11th of June on our honeymoon there as well. And it was just a wonderful trip. And I just, again, wanted to say thank you and how much I really appreciate your radio show uh, incredibly informative, and every week I look forward to hearing more and more information from you. And I uh, just wanted to again say thanks a lot. Keep up the great work. Hey, Luke. This is Brian from Winter Park, Florida. Um, just finished listening to this week's podcast, and I actually just got off Pirates of the Caribbean on the 4th of July, and I was just going to the gift shop, and now the pistols and rifles come in. Bright green and bright orange with coordinating caps instead of the classic brown. Just want to let you know. Talk to you later. Hello, Lou. This is Greg Durham calling from Benton Harbor, Michigan. And I'd just like to put out an SOS call to all members of the Adventurers Club. Our beloved club is under threat of closure. A number of sites are now accepting petition signatures to help us convince the powers that be that the club should not suffer this horrible fate. It may be a long shot, but we must try. The Adventures Club was the world's one true Disney nightclub. Thanks for having the best gosh darn podcast on the internet, Lou. If all of your listeners get on the bandwagon, we must just stand a chance. Kungaloosh! Sail on freedom's wind, cross the sky.